Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. We got the infamous legend in the house today. I'm very excited. Uh, What's really cool is I just found out Thaddeus is actually living in my neck of the woods of New Jersey. And there's always just something special about that. I don't know what it is, but it just warms up my soul feeling like, all right, cool. I'm talking to another brother right across the country from my backyard. But needless to say, this gentleman is rocking and rolling in something unique today, guys. So we're going to be talking about self-storage. We're going to be talking about uh, getting some six, like several, (laughs) several six figures in profits by basically flipping land deals here, flipping land titles and how you guys can do it too. We're going to be breaking it all down. He also has a webinar coming up and a live event coming up that will really most likely put like the missing pieces together for you guys which is, is going to be super, like exactly what you guys need at the end of the day. So if any of this sparks some interest, I highly encourage you guys to check out the live webinar coming up, check out the live event. It's going to be badass. I'm super excited behind it, but Thaddeus, what is up, man? How are you today? Uh, I'm fantastic, man. I was saying before you went live with the podcast that you, you got me all hyped up, man. I'm, uh, the, and the energy is contagious, right? And right. yeah, your energy is exciting. And, and quite honestly, man, I, I love this space. And yep. so when somebody gives me an opportunity to come and riff on self-storage, man, I just, it gets exciting to talk about. So, Oh yeah. I love it, man. So for anybody out there that doesn't uh, know more about your situation, who you are, where you're from, do you mind just giving that 30,000 foot view? Oh man, 30,000 foot view, 609, right? We're, we're yeah. uh, South Jersey, Burlington County. You're down from down the shore. And, and so we share that geographical connection there. I'm reading Start With Why right now by Simon Sinek. And he breaks that down, man. We're like logically connected yeah. some weird way. When someone's from where you're from, there's just that sense of connection. We met out in Denver a couple of weeks ago and, and man, just your vibe is something I was attracted to. And when I found out you got a 609 number that just made it that much more, but 30,000 foot view, but it's been a lot of things in my life, fell into real estate about four years ago. Like most people that are, are even remotely successful in this space, I've done it by failing forward, you know, lost lots of money in this and luckily in losing money, made connections with people and kept grinding and accidentally fell into self-storage, kind of was fixing and flipping, got into wholesaling as a way to make some money back and just fell in with a couple guys that are doing ground up development in the self-storage space, man. And I'm a numbers guy. I geek out on math. And when I yep. start being able to, to, you know, I can remember like the back of the napkin analysis was like the coolest thing ever, right? My first mastermind first mentor would do like this deal analyzer and it's this Excel spreadsheet. I'm the only person that gets excited doing the deal analyzer. (laughs) When you start doing deal analysis on deals that create eight figures of equity build, it's hard not to get excited. When you're talking about, you know, doing a development and you're 13, 14 million into it, but a three-year projection puts the value at 28 million, it's hard not to get excited, you know? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, come on, then I'm getting excited becomes, right now just thinking about it. That's wild. That's crazy yeah. numbers. That, that's not like your average fix and flip or just, you know, wholesale or anything, really. I mean, this is big numbers here that you can generate fairly so quickly. Self-storage started being tracked as an act asset class in the early 1980s, right? Originated in Texas in like the 50s or 60s, wasn't really a thing until the 80s. From the time it has been tracked as an asset class, it is the highest performing asset class in the United States, not just real estate, right? So returns on investment for 40 years, highest in the country. And to give a little, like a, just to just to give people a, a, a really 30,000 foot view. Everyone knows about 2008. Everyone knows what happened to the stock market, what happened to their home prices, what happened to their friggin' jobs and their bank accounts and their retirement. Self-storage had a 3% increase in NOI that year. Yeah, I knew you were going there. I was like, yeah, I can just imagine, you know, when everybody else is tipsy-turvy here, every, it just starts opening up opportunity. People need more storage. They're going to downsize. covid highest occupancy rates in the history of the space, highest net operating income in the history of the space, right? So to 2021, best year that they've ever had in self-storage. So it's just, it's an asset class that when people are doing really well, they rent self-storage. And when people are hurting and they're downsizing, they rent self-storage. And it's just been really immune to a lot of the setbacks that other asset classes are, you know, experience. Yeah, that makes sense. I love it. So that obviously explains like why self-storage, right? Now, how did you, yep. how'd you get in with the team that you're with currently? And, and Great what is story. your position so, with the team? Like, what are you focusing uh, on? Yeah, I can, I can break that all down really easy. So I was fixing and flipping houses, lost a yeah. ton of money. It wasn't, wasn't super detailed. And it, going out to the boardroom mastermind where I met you, right? That whole thing with like KPI and track your numbers religiously. Yeah, would have been a good thing to learn in 2019, 2020. So COVID happened. I was flipping four houses at the same time wasn't really on top of everything. It just got really squeezed. I had met some wholesalers while I was doing that. And when it, it became apparent that I wasn't going to be able to fix and flip anymore, I went to work for them doing acquisitions, you know, take a step back, lean into what I'm good at, which is relationships and, and sales and talking to people um, and started doing acquisitions for this group of wholesalers. The two principals of that wholesaling company were no longer actively working in the wholesaling company. They had started a ground up self-storage business. At the time I went to work for their wholesaling business, they owned one piece of land in New Jersey in Sicklerville, which you're super familiar with. You'll pass it on the way from the airport out going home when you come back. They own one piece of land. They were in the middle of like the terror of trying to get entitlements during COVID, but they took off really fast. And in 2021, they bought seven other pieces of land to build on. And as they were getting late in the year, they were like, look, we don't have the bandwidth anymore to run this wholesaling business. And they came to me, I was doing really well. And they're like, look, we want to bring you into our self-storage business. And what we want to do is we can't buy all these sites that we're finding. You can only take so many loans on 13, $14 million projects. The loans are typically recourse. You have to have the assets to back up the loan, which means if you're taking a $13 million loan, you got to have somebody who can sign that has a net worth of $13 million, right? So you reach a point where you're like, all right, we got eight of them in house. We don't want to bring any more in-house right now, but yeah. we don't want to stop going out and finding new deals. If the deals make sense, we're going to go out and find somebody else who might want to build the thing. And so that's why they brought me in. I'm essentially the dispositions wing of this company. A little different than wholesaling a house. 
in that not only are we going out and finding a piece of land, but we're running the underlying due diligence also. So we're, we're talking to the city to see if we're going to be able to build it. In some cases, we might need to go get what's called a conditional use permit or a special use permit to get the right to build, right? Like you may not just be allowed to build self-storage in a certain space. So we'll have to go through some things there and we'll go out and get soil testing and we'll do surveys. We'll make sure that this is something that you can absolutely build on that site. And then we'll flip the, the assignment of the contract to another developer. I love it. So how are you figuring out the location, especially in New Jersey? There's some pits there that it gets very rural, right? So awesome question. This is something that could stick with people. It's called the 60-60-20 rule, right? So we can really quickly, there's software that you could do this on. And the, the idea is pretty simple. We want 60,000 people in a three mile radius. We want $60,000 of median income. And we want $20 a square foot in the local self-storage. So it's pretty simple. If I, if I go on a, like if somebody's using, why is the name? We use something called CoStar, but there's a website that people use for commercial real estate. And it's slipping my name right or my mind right now, which I can't believe. But anyway, there you go. My man took care of me. I knew Brandon would take care of me. So if you go on LoopNet, right? And you see something for sale and you're like, well, let me see. It's a raw piece of land. And you put it into Google Maps and you see that there's just a ton of residential housing around it, you can be pretty sure that there's 60,000 people there, right? If there's no houses around it, or if like a third of the area surrounding it is houses and a third of it is trees, okay, maybe not the population center we're looking for. Median income, again, we have software that we can go and we can find that out, something called Radius Plus. For somebody who doesn't have access to a radius plus like $20 an hour to use, it's, it's not a high barrier to entry. If you got 30 addresses you want to look at, you can go spend 20 bucks and get all of it for 30 sure. addresses. The 20 is what's the average price per square foot of the local self-storage going for? So simple math is to, to go find a 10 by 10 unit at the public storage or the cube smart or the extra space that's in that vicinity of the address you're looking at and see what they're charging for a month. If their price is $167 a month, well, that equals $2,000 a year on a 100 square foot unit. That's $20 a square foot a year, right? $20 a square foot a year on a 100,000 square foot facility is $2 million. You're looking in most of these facilities at operating costs in the six to $700,000 range, most of which, by the way, is property taxes. Sure. Very, very small cost of, of running the thing. Yeah, it's got to so be very looking, minimal. You know, looking at a two million dollar gross income against the six seven hundred thousand dollar net operating expenses, your net operating income is you know one point two one point three million dollars. For people that are familiar with cap rates, you know you start calculating that one point two million dollars a year. If somebody's willing to pay you twenty years of your net profit, which would be what we would call a five cap, mm-hmm. you're looking at a, a property that's worth twenty twenty five million dollars. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. What type of expenses should somebody anticipate? I would assume it's more or less after you build it, it's really just the help, right? Like the the worker. So most of the time, like when we're the, the company I work with, legacy developers is the is the in-house development arm. My wing of it is called shovel ready storage, right? That's our marketing disposition arm. Sure. If we build something in-house, 
we're going to hire cube smart or extra space storage or life storage or public storage to come and manage it for us and we're going to pay a percentage of the net operating income excuse me of the gross operating income to them in order to do that five six seven percent kind of depends on how much leverage you have as a player in the game right so you know right off the bat if you're making two million dollars a year one of those people are taking 100 to 140,000 of that for them to go and do all the web rates, to, to yep. do all the management, to do all the signups. They're allocating anywhere from 45 to $60,000 a year to have somebody on site, really inexpensive. It is, it is not a big, big cost to have a manager of one of these sites. And a lot of it now is progressing to the place where it's a keypad entry. You know, your door lock, you know, getting into the building is keypad. It's not like they need a lot of onsite. The security is an, an expensive initial cost because there's tons of cameras and, and you'll want to make sure people are safe on site. But For it's sure. not a, a super expensive long term cost. As I said, the two big ones are your management fee to whoever is running it for you and then your property taxes. Mm, OK, what about vacancies? Like what is the turnover rate or occupancy? So. Average in the industry is 7% turnover a month, which is actually really fantastic, Brandon, because first of all, there's none of the laws that protect consumers in the residential space, right? So for a self-storage owner, we're not bound by any rental laws. Like there's no restrictions to how you can raise rents. But the great part of the turnover is as a market has higher prices, you're able to respond to that very quickly because yeah. you're seeing the turnover so quickly, right? It doesn't take you a long, like we know what happens in the, in the multifamily market right now. If somebody's got a two bedroom apartment that they're renting for 1400 bucks, they're not moving. Yeah. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. And if a landlord is not on top of it and isn't constantly raising their, their rents, they're not seeing the benefit of a, what's it been a, a 50, 60, 70% increase in rental rates in the last few years. You may not recognize it. In self-storage, because there's turnover so much, you get to replace that person relatively quickly. Now, the other side of that is it's pretty standard in the industry that every nine months, there's an automatic 7% increase in your rent. And that's baked into your contract when you go rent it. So if you're listening to this, don't rent self-storage. Do not do that. That is not this episode, guys. If (laughs) if you have a, on the flip side, like as somebody who works for a company that owns a bunch of these, go rent self-storage. But understand that, play the game because the big boys, they're going to raise your rent automatically. And it's actually built into their algorithm that when you finally call them and complain, they're like, oh yeah, okay, we'll hold it for the next two years. We'll freeze your rent, right? But they don't do that until you call and complain. And we know how consumers are. A lot of times people don't call and complain. And you're, you know, let's say you're paying $190 a month and it goes to 197. You don't even notice it. You're not even paying attention. Don't even notice. You You, you have it on auto pay and you're good to go. You don't even notice. But that 7% increase over four years, you know, over the course of 48 months, that's six, 7% increases. That's just higher and higher. The, The operating expenses aren't going up. Yeah. Right. The cost of running the facility, there's no drywall. There's one toilet in the whole facility. So there's very little, there's no countertops or cabinets to replace. You don't have to pull carpets. Somebody moves their stuff out. You go in and you vacuum the concrete and you let somebody else move in. Yeah. The turnover is just, that's the best part about it. That is so attractive to me. I'm like, the maintenance is little to none, nothing really. What do you got to power wash it maybe every once in a while? If that so you're not you're not even doing that. It's yeah. so minimal. And the expectation of what does someone want? I don't want rodents in there and I don't want water in there. That's it. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know? Let's go. Cool. Yeah. It's great. Just craziness. Uh, a quick factoid for you is yeah. 100,000 square foot facility. You're building it. Multifamily right now is going 300 to $350 a square foot. Mm. Self-storage is about 115 to 125, depending on if you're doing single story or going multi, you know, three stories. If you go higher, the cost goes up, you know, fire ratings change. Most multifamily guys will stick to three stories or lower. Same in self-storage because what you have to do for a building code standpoint changes sure. dramatically when you go to the four story. That's changing a little bit. Um, yeah. The 2021 building code changed it, but a lot of places haven't adopted that yet. Anyway, $350 a square foot for multifamily. $125 a square foot to build a self-storage facility, right? So figure 100,000 square feet, you can build for $12.5 million less your cost of borrowing money mm-hmm. or $30 million for multifamily. Yeah. Here's the kicker. The rent per square foot yearly is almost exactly the same. Is it? I was almost going to think that it could potentially be even higher. Um, it's a little bit, it's, it's not higher, but they're almost exactly the same. And here's the deal. When somebody moves out of their apartment after five years, yeah, you got to exactly. go in and do a full reno of that apartment to go rent it again. Now, yeah, you can raise the rent, but we can raise the rent in a self-storage 10 by 10 unit. Sure. And we can raise the rent the whole time that person's there and not have to do any reno of the unit when they move out. So just that it just creates a massive difference in the, the overall net operating income. I love it. So what type of markets are you guys focusing on right now? Growth. Sunbelt. So just to give you an idea for our company, Legacy Developers, we own a site in Sicklerville. We own a site up in Allegheny, New York, which if anybody's familiar with St. Bonaventure and Olean, New York, uh, that, that's very close. It's a, an outlier for us. It was a, our, we get, we're doing a Kmart renovation up there, which is our only renovation. Um, we'll also do a new build on top of the existing structure, but very outlier for us. We've got two in Ohio, one in North Ridgeville, which is a suburb of Cleveland, and one in Kent, Ohio, famous for the university, two in Texas, two in Florida. And our concentration for the last year has really been Texas and Florida. Super growth markets. You're looking at places where the population is growing. Quite frankly, you're looking at places where doing business is less red tape. Easier. Like they're not crazy. They're not like California. Cook County and California, right? Like Cook County and California literally are two, like there's developers when I call them up, like, hey, where are you developing? And they're like anywhere but Cook County, which is Chicago, for those who don't know, and California. New Jersey's tough, man. Some of those staunchly democratic states, they have really stringent laws on development and God bless, that's their right as a state. But as a developer, you're going to go where you can go and try and get things done a little bit more quickly. Yeah, yeah, make the improvements that you're looking for. I love that. So how are you getting these deals in contract? Basically, the team ends up throwing you. I give a shout out to my boy, Adil and Alex and Anthony, our our AAA team in the office. I I just left the office an hour ago. They literally will look at 200 addresses a day, right? They will underwrite about 30 of those. You like dig into, as I said, Radius Plus is the is the software we use. There's other software called Yardy that you can use um, where we'll go in and we'll actually look at the 60, 60, 20 numbers and see if they, they make the demand. We're eye testing 200 a day. We're sending out anywhere from five to 10 letters of intent a day. Um, and we'll, I think right now we're at 18 contracts for the quarter. So we put 18 different pieces of property under contract since the beginning of April trying to get to 20 by the end of that. Our goal was 20 and we'll close on 
three properties in the quarter. So think about that. 200 a day we're looking at, sending out about 10 LOIs a day, putting 20 under contract to close three, right? So with those that you get under contract that you can't you know, find an buyer, what happens with that? You guys just- so we're always going to either buy it or find an end buyer. The reason that 20 goes to three, right? Like we'll, we'll put 20 under contract in the quarter and only buy three. And I say buy, it's either we buy it or, or we'll wholesale them. You're going to lose a ton for due diligence. You're, you're going to lose a lot of properties because when, putting it under contract is the beginning. Yeah, right? Once a, we put it under step. contract, it's past the basic demographic test we want to see. But now we got to call the city. Now we got to go get a, a third party feasibility done. We've got to see, hey, we're going to spend anywhere. We might only spend 10, 15 before we kill it, but we might, we've got properties we spent $75,000, $100,000 in due diligence. And at the last minute, something came up and it killed it. You mm-hmm. know, we didn't end up buying it. What, so with the due diligence, what are those numbers again? Roughly that, like, what's the range that you're seeing? As far as like what it's costing us to do yeah. the due diligence? Yeah. yeah. We, we, so a feasibility report. A fee, so I'll take you through our process. Yeah, process please. is we put something under contract. We have a really good development team that we work with, S3 Partners out in Denver, actually, ironically, where you and I yeah. met. They have somebody who spent 20 years working in, in municipal planning and zoning boards. And our specialty is communicating with local municipalities and figuring out where are we going to be allowed to build this? That's the first step, right? We want to figure out before we spend a ton of money, can we build self-storage here? Is it something that this particular municipality is interested in having? Once we find out that we think we're pretty good in that spot, we're going to go get a third-party feasibility. We use a guy, Stephen Ross, that's been 40 years in the industry, knows everybody, super connected. And he's going to put together a presentation for us. He's going to give us all those population and median income numbers, the rental rates that we should expect way better than we get in our initial just quick $20 an hour radius search, right? And he's going to present that to us in a package. And we're going to dig in that. It's going to tell us how much demand do we think is in a three mile radius of this property? Is is there a demand? Do they need storage? And we know those numbers from the industry, like the average... This is a crazy number to me, but the average American has six square feet of storage, right? I'll multiply that by 360 million people. It's a boat ton of self-storage. So we'll go into a market and it changes state to state. New Jersey, everyone's got a basement. Self-storage is not as big in Jersey. Texas, everything's built on a slab. Ton of self-storage, right? So we'll go into that market. We'll say, all right, in Texas, the average person owns 8.3 square feet. There's 60,000 people in a three-mile radius. This is how much storage there should be. This is how much is there. Okay, we see that there's 250,000 square feet of demand for storage in this market. And so we're going to be okay building 100,000 square feet. It's only going to fill 50% of the demand. That that, um, report will also tell us what are the other sites in that market getting for rates. So we can say, all right, we think we're going to get, and we know if we get $20 a square foot, it's worth digging into. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. So once you get these things under contract, how long is the due diligence period? Are you guys trying to Great question. it out three, six months? So we'll typically put something under contract at 90 days. If we can get 120, we'll ask for it. If they'll for only sure. give us 90 days, we'll build in extensions automatically based on due diligence returns. Yeah. So we'll say, hey, look, We've got to get an assurance from the city. If we don't have it by day 90, we get an automatic 30 and 30. 
So we'll try and get to 120, 150 built in before we go crazy. Sold a site April 1st that we put under contract September 27th, just to give you a little idea of a timeline, right? Or excuse me, not April 1st. We sold that April 29th. So figure, you know, three full months in 2021 and another five full months, four full months. So, you know, seven months is a pretty, pretty good turnaround time for one of these. And so you guys are pooling permits on uh, and really getting. We, we will not have site plan approval and building permits when we buy the land. What we will know for sure is that building self-storage on that site is approved. So with site plan approval and building permits, you're going to just have to follow the letter of the law for the city but they sure. can't stop you from building self-storage there. Now we're going to have a really good idea what the letter of the law is, yeah. right? We're not going to get blindsided and all of a sudden lose 30,000 square feet of space, right? We're going to know what their, what their code says, but we know we have permission to build self-storage when we buy the land or when we sell the land to another developer. It'd be great to have building permits and site plan approval, but yeah. you can't always get a seller to hang on for that extra four to six month process that it's going to take to get to that place. Oh man, I'm I'm glad you said that. Out in California, man, it's been a year and a oh. half, and I'm still waiting on permits just to just to dig like basic stuff, just to yeah, see simple if, stuff. Yeah, simple stuff. It's crazy just to see if we're my, on fault line. <laughs> my mentor flipped a house in Laguna Beach and spent thirty months not building. Yeah. Waiting for oh, two and a half years waiting for permits. Oh, it was yeah, absolutely yeah. insane. How and, and the guy at the building department has a job. God bless. I, I, it, I know nice. that story uh, with Big Sexy and Cole. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yeah. Big was, Sexy. Was what, yeah. Hey, that's you know, funny. thank God for the market kept going up. <laughs> yeah, they did all right on that deal in the great. But yeah, when you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs and, and you know, you borrowed money, they got. Hard like everything costs. in real estate, they got that deal at a great price and, and they sure. got that deal at a great, that's a whole nother story, but they're really good people. And they got the deal at a great price because they were treating the person they got the deal from like a human being with compassion and empathy. Yes. And so the deal worked out, but that doesn't change the fact that it's frustrating to deal with a municipality where, you know, that's what we could have a whole nother podcast on that conversation. Yeah. But anyway, for us, that's why we go to Texas and Florida. Yeah, it, it tends to just be a way quicker process and way easier to deal with. Yeah, that makes sense. Stay out of Cali and stay out of uh, New Jersey, and well, in yeah. certain parts, right? But uh, well, yeah. fortunately, in the part of New Jersey we're in, my partners were flippers for fifteen years, and they're they super connected with all. Yeah. yeah, they're they're really connected to all the municipalities. So you know, like our Sicklerville site. You know, Brian Bogan, one of our owners, his dad is best friends with the with the guy from the building department at the yeah. city. So, so you guys are good. It ma makes life a little bit easier in dealing in those situations, for sure. So when you guys are figuring out what to build on there, like whether you want to go up high or just if you got a ton of land, that really Great just question. comes with the due diligence and so forth. 100%, right? And it's all a lot of things matter there. So we might have a five or six acre site where we'd love to build all single story, you know, a big climate controlled building that's 40, 50,000 square feet and then a bunch of drive up non climate control. We like to have a mix there um, to meet everyone's needs. We want to be single story where we can because it reduces building costs and increases the amount of net rentable square feet you get per foot of building. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't I have to have an elevator shaft. I don't have sure. to have stairwells. So I lose less space on my climate control building. And Makes my sense. cost per square foot of building is my cost per square foot of building. The more building I can then rent, 
yeah. the better my NOI is going to be, right? The other part of that that really helps is that your timeline to get done construction goes down when you build single story. So you're going to get to your end game, whatever that might be. You're going to get there quicker with a single story build. So if we can, we'll do single story. You can't always, you know, going out and finding the perfect size lot to build a single story, 100,000 square foot net rentable facility is not as easy as just, you know, hey, let me just go find six acres somewhere in a 60,000 population, 60,000. You can't always do it. So we're actually looking at a site right now in Port Charlotte, Florida. It's 1.6 acres. We've got no choice but to build up. And it's it, we're only going to end up getting 64,000 net rentable square feet out of the out of the three-story building. But the rent per square foot in the market is really good. So it'll still work really well at the end of the day. So it's that's a, a juggling game. All depends yes. on how much land, all depends on how much of the land you have. Do you, you got to build retention ponds on these things when the groundwater doesn't uh, escaping me again. You know, if things don't drain correctly, and that's we're sure. doing all that work ahead of time, we're going out and doing soil testing to see what we're going to have to have for retention and getting civil engineers to go out and do that work for us. So a lot of stuff goes into figuring out what's the eventual build going to look like. Yeah, I love that. And then what is the range typically on how many units um, that you, I know it depends on square foot, but what are great question? Yeah, I love that. How well you're listening to the question you're asking. We don't even think about unit size in the grand scheme of things early on. That's a super late deal. And a lot of it has to, there's two major factors. What's already available from the competitors in the market, right? What's full? Like what, what do they have that's full and what do they have that's available? So if you go into the competitor, and you say, all right, they've got 20 10 by 10s available right now. Well, I don't need a ton of 10 by 10s, but they have one five by five. Okay, I'm going to build a bunch of five by fives in this unit. The other side of that is the architects have to figure out how can I maximize the space? What unit mix is going to give me the most net rentable square feet for the property that I'm on, right? So it, it, there's a lot. Then you're going even deeper into the math, right? You know, if I'm getting $26 a square foot for a 10 by 10, but I'm getting $40 a square foot for a five by five, well, I want a five by five as many times as I can. Yeah. You're playing that game, right? I love that. Some of the, when we met at the boardroom in Denver, you were talking about some of these numbers and, you know, you were (laughs) actually going to be like making a wholesale fee of 700, I think, K. Off. I mean, so I, I know there's we, work involved we, here. I'm not trying to discount that, but gee yeah, whiz, sure. you know. <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll run through the numbers, man. Like, like two deals that we've wholesaled this year. One of them we took a wholesale fee of eight hundred thousand, and one of them we took a wholesale fee of six hundred thousand. Yeah. And all told, we were about two hundred thousand into the due diligence on those two projects. So, you know, figure you're, you're looking at a million dollar, and that we all got to get paid. So I mean, yeah. there's expenses in there yeah, on top of here. the due diligence yeah. cost, but d- there's a nice hefty high six figure sum left out at the end of the day of what our wholesale fee enta- entailed. As I said, the one property, actually one of them, we turned around pretty quickly. We put it under contract in December and we sold at the end of March. It was a use approved site. So it was in the city of Houston and you're allowed to build, so you're allowed to build whatever. Houston's like the yeah. Wild West. You can literally build it. whatever you want, wherever you You can go in the middle of a residential section. And if you get a big enough piece of land, you can build sub-storage. Have um, it build up in two months and be done. Exa- yeah, <laughs> exactly. The other one was in Palm Bay, Florida, and it took from September 27th to April 29th, right? It was a, it was a full like seven, eight month, again. 
sure. not counting very well right there, but it was a longer because we had to go through with the city and go through a conditional use permit. And, you yeah. know, so we had to get special permission to do it. But the bright side of that conditional use permit is it was an $800,000 assignment fee because there's an added benefit to the buyer, right? Oh, yeah. They've gotten through a major hurdle and it's a barrier to entry into the market that makes somebody feel more comfortable that they're not just going to get a bunch of competition come in and squeeze them in the market. What would you say to somebody that is brand new? Maybe they've done a dozen or so deals themselves, but looking to actually start transitioning to something like this, especially with how the market's going right now, right? Like we're starting to see on our flips, getting a little pushback, a little pullback. Yeah, of course. You know, this is storage is is perfect. I think that the, the cool thing about this, why I love commercial real estate is first of all, there's no emotions. Yeah. It's a hundred percent numbers, right? Yep. Like, listen, let's be honest. It's not all easy. We have this site in Cyclerville and we had a, a really nice offer on it. And yep. the people that made the offer didn't have their money secure. And the Fed came in and, and changed their rate. And we were still in our due diligence period. There was no hard money. And they pulled out of the deal because they couldn't get their money for the same price they thought they were going to get it when they initially made it off. So sure. it's not easy. It's friggin' hard. But what's great is there's no emotion. Right. When you're wholesaling residential real estate and you're calling a seller and you got to tell them what you can really afford to pay them for their home, yeah. there's always an emotional response. In commercial real estate, that does not exist. It's all just numbers, it's all math. And what's great about the math, Brandon, is the math leaves space for everybody to make some profit. Mm-hmm. Right. So somebody who might be wholesaling residential real estate right now, and all of a sudden, yeah, they were they were plugging along great, making 10, 15,000 a, a wholesale contract. Now they're getting squeezed. They're getting squeezed from the home sellers because the home prices are going up and everyone perceives their house as being worth more money. And even yeah. though the market's shifting, the homeowner's not feeling that yet. Yeah, but yet. the flip, the flipper's feeling it, your end buyer's feeling it. So they're trying to squeeze you for a few more thousand dollars on their end because they know they're facing a market that interest rates are going up. People are going to be able to spend less money when this thing's flipped in, in six, eight, 10 months. Yeah. If you're feeling squeezed like that, there's a space for you to simply go out and give me an address. Yeah. Go send me an address. We're paying, we call them certified field agents. We're paying a certified field agent 5% of our assignment fee on one of these deals. And by the way, that assignment fee I talked about, $600,000, Yeah. we're taking that in-house if we buy it. Oh, yeah. I love it. We're taking the same assignment fee. Like legacy legacy developers- we're going to go out and syndicate and we're going to raise money on these deals to, to go fund it. But the syndication is such that uh, you can afford to pay yourself an assignment. You have to disclose it to the people you're raising money from. They don't care because if they're going to get a 15 to 18% return on the investment, who cares if you made some money? They could care less. Um, so my point is that these certified field agents, they come and bring us. If we buy something for $500,000, they're getting a $25,000 check just for giving us the address of the land. I love it. Right. And if we keep it in house, they're getting a piece of equity in it. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're taking a chunk of the equity. So we ha- I actually, yeah. actually watched, watch Dave Speck get a check for $37,000 on our facility in, in San Antonio. Dave Speck was managing a bank in Ohio and got involved with us, found, a, found an address in San Antonio. We bought the land. He got a $37,000 check for wow. just giving up. And all he did was identify the address, talk to the broker, make sure we could buy it. Our guys in-house ran all the numbers on it. 
He now has a piece of equity in that property that he's, he's actually got a nice chunk of equity. If that thing ends up being a $10 million sale, he's going to make a 500, he's going to have life changing money. If he's going to get a $500,000 check. So that's a spot that someone could go in. If somebody's like a, a really established flipper yeah. and they really know what they're doing, you can build one of these ground up yourself. And I promise you that even though you might not be able to go get a $13 million loan yourself, if you're a super established flipper, there's someone in your network that you can get to sign a loan for you. Oh, yeah. Guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. Guaranteed. It's just a matter of going out and leveraging that network. Right? Good. I love that. If well, you have the skills to flip 5, 10, 15 houses in a year, you can go out and build one self-storage facility and you can build a self-storage facility that you can keep enough equity that it'll cash flow you $150,000, $200,000 a year. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, that's so powerful. I love it. What, what would you say, you know, for words of advice to, I think that's motivational enough, honestly, right there, but anything that you would help the new person kind of put together to be able to get them rock and roll with this stuff? Either reach I mean, out look, to you guys I'm gonna, or I'm going to plug ourselves. We have yeah. something called the Storage Syndicate. Yeah. Um, one of those two deals we sold was sold within our Storage Syndicate. It's a mastermind that we have that you go to storagesyndicate.com, super easy. You can get details about it. And on that Storage Syndicate website, we also have a live event, a live web event. It's a Zoom event that's coming up next week. Look, I'm always going to tell someone. Yes, it's important to fail forward, right? It's important to go out and take your licks and, and to do things and to, and to learn the hard way. But sure. as many of those mistakes as you can avoid by learning from somebody else that already did it. And the storage syndicate is set up very uh, simply to find CFAs, to find people that can help us go find land, but also to find JV partners, people that we, and we are actively, we're not just saying we're, at, we're doing JV, but we're <laughs> actively doing JV partnerships on these things, because if somebody can bring bank financing, if somebody can yep. either themselves sign or they can bring someone that can sign, my partners can do more deals, right? Oh, yeah. And I'll get into this in a second in a deeper way, but the equity is such and the ability of the developers, the general partners, the GPs, the yep. amount of equity they can keep on one of these deals is so different than any other commercial space. It's hard to believe. We were in Denver. We got to listen to Brad Sumrock. Amazing dude, right? Nine-figure wealth, yep. huge in the multifamily apartment space. And he was up on stage and he was telling us how he can go out and syndicate an LP, a limited partnership on a multifamily deal where he'll go raise 13, $15 million. Yep. He'll give 80% of the equity to the limited partners and he'll keep 20% for himself. And oh, yeah. that is phenomenal. But imagine if the numbers of the deal made it so you could do an LP partnership, raise 30% of the equity, ra excuse me, raise $3 million to do one of these deals, get the bank to finance the rest, and instead of giving 80% of equity to the LP and keeping 20 for the GP, you give 30 to the LPs and keep 70 for the GPs. Yeah, flip it, baby. I love that. <laughs> flip it. And not yeah. only flip it, but flip it on a deal that has way more equity at the end of it. So oh, you're, yeah. not getting, you're not getting three and a half times as much equity. You're getting 10, 15 times as much equity because not only do you have more percentage of the equity, it's a higher profit margin right? My advice to somebody is get in with people that are actively doing deals yeah. that have an interest in helping you do deals and then take action. That's oh, it. 
Yeah. And definitely, guys, you want to check out storagesyndicate.com for sure. Reach out to these guys. It's going to be game-changing for you in many ways. But that is, when it comes down to syndications and bigger multifamily apartment buildings, for example, a lot of people, there's a certain peak that uh, the performance takes, and then it's really a long-term fix and flip. You know, so is self-storage similar in that aspect? Like, do you guys have an end goal to flip this at seven, 10 years? Or what does that look like? So there's so many outs in this and it's all about the pivot, man. It's all going to depend on what it looks like. The great part is we might choose to sell something on what's called a CO deal. The minute we get sort of certificate of occupancy, there's so much money coming into the space right now from institutional money Yeah, that... It might make sense to sell it. it. Look, if I can sell at my my five cap valuation, what I thought I was going to get for a five cap valuation when I started the due diligence process, right? In other words, someone's willing to pay me 20 years of my projected net operating income, not yeah. my actual, but what might happen. If yeah. they're going to give me 20 years of that, the day I get a CO from the city, I'm going to sell the thing. Why not? Right? Yeah. yeah. If I build a facility for $13 million, someone comes and says, I'm going to give you 21.6 for it the day the doors open. Sure. I just made an $8.6 million profit on a $13 million, then I'm going to sell it. Now, we're seeing some cooling in the market right now, right? With what's going on with interest rates. Maybe I don't get that deal at CO. Well, that's okay because I'll hold it until I've stabilized rents, until I've got 85, 90% occupancy, and then I'll go refi it with the bank. The bank will cash me out of my construction loan. I might be able to put a million, a million and a half, $2 million in my pocket. By the way, God bless America, where the real estate landowners were the only people that got the vote at the beginning, right? When the constitution yeah. was written, the only way you got the vote is if you owned a piece of land. Yeah. Owning land is the most protected asset there is. So when you refi a commercial property and you put the money in your pocket, you do not get taxed on it. Mm. Okay. So oh, yeah. at stabilization on a self-storage facility, if I can refi cash out, take a million dollars, it's tax-free. Oh, yeah. Now, if I own 70% of the equity as the general partner, even if I share it with you, it's $700,000. Yeah. Now, you're usually doing that right now at like a, a 1.3 ratio. So the bank is requiring you to have, if your nut for the bank is going to cost you a million dollars a year, you got to have 1.3 million in revenue every year, net operating income, or they won't sure. give you the loan. Yeah. So, but think about it this way. If I'm paying a million dollars to the bank and they're requiring me to have a debt service ratio of 1.3, so I've got to have 1.3 million in net operating income before the loan. That leaves me $300,000 a year in profit after refining the thing and putting money in my pocket. So that's another out, right? Yeah. I might just refi it and then hang on. And, and, and then what do you do? You wait until there's an offer. I just had a partner of mine that I work with that I, is another developer. Just talked to him two days ago. They put a stupid price on a property. They were like, hey, we'll put it out there, but we're just going to ask for a stupid price. Somebody came and paid him the stupid price. Yeah. <laughs> right? Somebody, I... In this space, people are paying three caps. And, and yeah. what a three cap means, 33 years of net operating. In, in a standard business, by the way, just to give people an idea, three to five years of net operating income is a typical price someone will pay for an existing business. Sure. Right? A cap rate of a three is like downtown New York City. Yeah. Like you got to have like super high end commercial real estate where you just know 
the value of the property is going to go up such that I'm not even worried about the income. I know the value of the property is appreciation. Yeah. 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 Appreciation. This was in Alexandria, Virginia, Mm. right? Like that that ain't New York City. No, no, it's not. I'm talking about like, they know something we don't know. (laughs) That's self storage. Yeah. That's so, this is a long winded answer to your question, but there's so many different ways to get out of one of these deals. And again, a 40 year track record of, yeah, there's always going to be that one-off example of someone that made a bad deal, but very, very few and far between. Yeah. And I mean, long story short too, when the expenses are so minuscule, they're so small, you're really not having the same type. It's not apples to apples when it comes down to apartment buildings where they hit that cap and then, you know, the expenses start going out the roof. So, and, and on top of that, the value of the multifamily it takes massive amounts of capital to sure. keep a class A multifamily a class A. Yeah. You build a class A multifamily, you got 10 years and it's not class A anymore unless yeah, you yeah. do a total remodel of it. Self-storage, you build a class A self-storage, it's because of the location that it's at. It's because of the accessibility it's at. It's because you have climate control. Yes, there'll be a slow devaluation of it, but way, way different than what happens in the multifamily space. I love this, man. Yeah, I love this topic. It's fresh for me because I never saw myself really being interested in this. Maybe it was your numbers that really like grabbed my attention. But honestly, as you break it down, it really simplifies a lot of things that anybody can really be doing this. And if you're just getting started and you're doing this as a, you know, a solo entrepreneur, a solo one man crew, you want to do this with somebody like, by all means, don't make the same mistakes that I've done in the past. And, 100%. Uh, you know, you can get there a heck of a lot faster and avoid a lot of the headache by partnering up with guys like this. So that is how can people get a hold of you? And I know you got the webinar coming up in the live event. Do you mind just shouting that stuff out so they can get plugged into No, that? absolutely. Storagesyndicate.com is oh. the, the website. Follow me, Thaddeus Campbell on Facebook. Shoot me a friend request for sure. It's Thad Campbell on Instagram. So at I-T-S-T-H-A-D Campbell, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. Follow me on Instagram. I'm actually pulling up. If I was super prepared, I'd have had this ready, but I'm going to give them the website for the webinar that we're doing so they can go straight to that and be able to register for that if it's something that they're interested in. Listen, you said something that really sticks in my head, which is like, you never really thought of this asset class. Ironically, when I first went to meet Cole Hatter for his first mastermind in 2019, he casually mentioned that a couple of his buddies in the space were in self-storage yep. and mentioned it as a an asset class. Who did, I, the only experience <laughs> I had with self-storage is I moved out of my house for five years and rented it. And I stored all my stuff in a unit that I spent $120 a month for, for five years, which in hindsight actually wasn't that bad relative to what stuff is now. But when I went back five years later to pull the stuff out, Brandon, I ended up throwing away every single thing in that unit. I didn't save a single thing. And so my only memory of self-storage is like, why would I ever do this? But when I saw the numbers, when I started to see the numbers are ridiculous, there is nothing sexy about a 10 foot by 10 foot steel cage with a steel roll door. Yeah. Nothing sexy about that. But there's something when you really see those sexy. numbers come in, baby, that's sexy. Absolutely. So if, if they go to live.storagesyndicate.com, they can see the, the webinar and, and get registered for that as well. 
If they have any issue whatsoever, just a, a quick shout out. That webinar is fifteen hundred bucks. It's a two day event. Guy Middlebrooks, who is the he's like the vice president of acquisitions for CubeSmart, which is the third biggest player in the game. Wow. Big guy Wayne, whose last name is skipping me, president of Kiwi Construction biggest steel guys in the self-storage space. They've erected over 800 self-storage facilities. He's going to be there. Dana Cornell of Cornell Capital raised over $100 million in syndication money, teaching you how to go out and, and raise money and how to talk to big money. Don't. There's just going to be a lot of people on there, as well as our team, teaching step-by-step. Yeah. How do you find the land? Like I went through the 60-60-20 rule. What's the due diligence that's required? What happens after you buy it? How do you finance these things? What happens when you have it built? Who do you talk to to get to run it for? All of those things from A to Z played out in a, in a two-day event. And, and then again, that opportunity to, we're always looking for partners. There's more than enough money to go around. Yeah. Super abundance mindset. The more deals we can do, our company's literally called legacy developers. We're building legacy wealth for everyone involved. And the more people we can bring in, the, the more we can create. I love it, man. And when's the event? So 29th and 30th, I think. Wow, you asked me that. You had to put me on the spot. Again, yeah. I, I should have I should have been paying attention a little more. Next Wednesday and Thursday. So yeah, 29th and 30th. All day Wednesday um, goes from super early in the morning to like five o'clock. And then I think like a little earlier end on Thursday. But details are there, live.storagesyndicate.com. And if you just go to the Storage Syndicate website, I'm sure there's a link there that'll take you to it as well, June 29th and 30th. Oh yeah. I love it, man. Thaddeus, thank you so much, bro. I really appreciate it. I just love your energy. I, I love your spirit. And I'm just so excited and pumped for what you got going on right now. And, and I'm really thankful that you guys are teaching this stuff and helping out more people and, and setting up the platform to be able to do so. So uh, you just gave an hour of your time. It means the world to me. I appreciate it greatly. Is there anything that myself or, or the listeners could do to give back to you? Listen, man, support this guy. I, I was like so blown away to get to meet you at the, the boardroom and hear your story. And we didn't really touch on your story here, but man, your story is phenomenal. What an amazing thing you've done. You know, follow me, reach out on Facebook. If it's yeah. something you're even remotely interested in, don't be afraid to ask questions. If you can't tell, I geek out on this. I, I get super excited about it. It gets my whatever endorphins, it gets them going. I, I really enjoy it. So if you're that type of person and, and it's something you really love, reach out. Let's have a conversation. But follow this guy too because he's doing world-changing things, man. You really are. I'm, I'm like, I'm so blown away. Got to meet you and Jen out at the boardroom and, and excited to keep following your journey as well and, and hope sometime we can get back together and, and talk about this some more. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Nothing but love. I appreciate that greatly. Guys, if you want to connect with me, you can always do so on Instagram. It's Brandon Elliott Investments. Otherwise, facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you need any credit repair done for you services, check out creditrepairmobile.com. Otherwise, if you're really looking to get educated on how the banks are screwing you, basically, how, how they are playing the game, how to really identify how the banks, the lenders, the creditors, how they're all judging you so you know how to play the game. So you know how to fix credit faster than anyone in the industry and then be able to get several six figures, even seven figures in funding at close to 0% interest, then you want to reach out and check out creditcounselelite.com. That's creditcounselelite.com and can be able to get more information. We have uh, some live webinars coming up. I'm extremely excited and passionate about credit and what it's done for our lives to be able to get us set up with real estate and all these other 
business ventures. So if you have any questions towards it, reach out and we'd be happy to bless you. With that being said, make sure you hit that subscribe button to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. You get the newest episode every single Monday and we will catch you on the next one. Make sure you leave that five-star review. Greatly appreciate all the love and feedback and share this out. Sharing is caring. You know it. Love you guys. Till next time, stay blessed. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit brandonelliotinvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time,